Welcome, gather round the fireside and listen to a tale of Yon McCool, Cullen, Deirdre of the Sorrows, Grawn, New Whale. From giants right down to fairies, of both the trooping and solitary, and close to us, sometimes scary. Anything goes by the fireside. Yeah. Fireside, the Puka Fireside, the Merrow Fireside. Kings and queens fighting heroes, don't you run from the fun, there's no need to hide. Sit by the fireside. Mm-hmm. Fireside. Hello and welcome to Fireside, the Irish storytelling podcast. Each episode of Fireside we take a story from folklore or mythology, retell it, have a chat about the tale itself and about the craft, culture and history of storytelling. My name is Kevin C. Olhan. I am your host and your Fireside Bard. Welcome to episode 70 of Fireside. There is a grand stretch in the evenings out there and I am coming to you from, it now seems, my regular home studio in Wicklow. I am not in the beautiful surroundings of the Headstuff Podcast Network studio in Dublin. We are still in isolation here in Ireland and indeed the world, as the world is in the grips of the COVID-19 pandemic. Each episode gets a little bit easier and a little bit harder. It gets a little bit easier to adjust to a new routine and to a new normal But then it also gets harder, the less and less we seem to know and the closer it seems to the slow crawl, hopefully back to (laughs) rebuilding society as it were. But I'm delighted to still be able to release this podcast, to write, record and release this podcast each and every week. I consider myself very fortunate for that as I keep saying that I have the equipment here at home and that I can and that uh, Headstuff can keep putting it out until I can make my triumphant return And we all can make our triumphant returns to work. So I hope you are well, you and your family are well and safe wherever you are. And that this podcast can provide a tiny bit of a respite to whatever it is, uh, whatever it is you have to do each day, whether you are still in work, whether you're at home, working away at your own things, working from home, or even if you're just out of work completely due to the virus that this can just be a little bit of a break for you. And that is, if you're a returning listener, you're very, very welcome along. If you are a new listener, welcome Uh, episode 70 what a way to start Um, if this is your first episode why don't you go back to the beginning and uh, see what we've been building up to over the last year year and a few months this is uh, I'd like to just have another quick thanks to all of our patrons as well over on patreon.com forward slash fireside podcast if you enjoy this podcast please do like subscribe leave ratings and comments wherever you get your podcasts apple Podcasts, spotify wherever if you really enjoy it um please do follow me on instagram at fireside bard all one word best place to keep in touch with me see what's going on with the podcast and with my other work professionally and if you really do want to support the podcast, you can do so at the Patreon, patreon.com forward slash fireside podcast. Your contributions, big or small to the Patreon, have never been more, had never been more appreciated in this time of uncertainty where so many artists, myself included, have lost a huge amount of work. And indeed, our entire industry um, is, the future of our industry is uncertain. But what is certain is that regardless of your contribution, this podcast will continue. I want this podcast only to grow and grow and develop and develop. And speaking of developments, 
This is the final episode of the Ulster Cycle, and indeed with that is the final episode of the four cycles of Irish mythology. This, when I set started doing this podcast all the way back, I recorded the first episode in October of 2018. This was what I set out to do, was to adapt a clear-as-water version of my own clear tales of the four cycles of Irish mythology that I had waded through dense versions of, sometimes incredible, but sometimes quite tricky, very elaborate versions of these stories. And I wanted to just have a simple, clear-as-water, as Philip Pullman says in his adaptations of the Grim Fairy Tales version, to put out into the world that I felt there was an audience and there was an appetite for out there. And indeed, there you've proven me right that all around the world people do listen to this podcast and that this podcast continues to grow. And that makes me incredibly satisfied, incredibly gratified um, and just delighted that that is the case. But after all that, <coughs> bigger pardon, after 30, so with... 70, this has mean, meant that we've done 35 folk tales and 35 myths, which is insanity. And it's really, it's really satisfying to me that we've come to this conclusion at a round number that this is episode 70. You know, I would have hated if it had been six, uh, 72 or 68. It's really nice that it's a nice clean 70. But in terms of the future of this podcast, just because I've come to the conclusion of the four cycles of Irish mythology does not in any way in any way mean that this is anywhere near the end of Fireside. This is really only the beginning for us. I have a lot of big plans for the future of this podcast, and I'll go into some of them after the folktale. So that is uh, that is incentive to stick around. But for now, I'm going to start with the end. Here is the death of Cú Cullen on Fireside. <laughs> The Death of Cú Cullen Over his many years as the Hound of Ulster, Cú Cullen claimed many, many lives. He left many children without their fathers, and sometimes without their mothers. As such, a lot of young all-around era grew up wishing death upon Cú Cullen. And one such victim was a sorcerer named Catalan, who had three sons and three daughters. The six offspring of Catalan swore they would avenge the death of their father and slay Cú Cullen. But they were so young at the time of their father's death, little was thought of this threat. But the years passed, and the three daughters and the three sons all grew up, and their lust for vengeance never abated. Cucullin would have never slept at all if he worried about every person who swore revenge on him, so he thought little of the children of Catalan. But who did worry was King Concobar MacNassa. Concobar was under no delusion that the reason he had stayed in power for so long was because of Cucullin. Every challenge his nephew had come up against, he had been victorious. He had single-handedly defended Ulster against the armies of Queen Maeve, while all of the Red Branch lay in the pangs of childbirth, a curse caused by Concobar himself. So the Ulster king did all he could to protect Cú Cullen. When Concobar was informed of the six children of Catalan who were now grown and looking for blood, 
He could feel this was different. So the king attempted to distract Cúchulain the only way he knew how, by throwing a feast. The three sons and three daughters of Catalan marched on Eamon Macha, the court of King Cuncobar MacNassa. They could hear the sounds of revelry inside. The three daughters had inherited their father's power of enchantment, and they cast a spell to create the sound of warfare, drums, horns, and the cries of men and the clashing of swords. They knew if Cucullin heard the sound of battle, he would come running. But this was the kind of thing Conkabar had been anticipating. So he had the musicians play louder, the merriment intensify, and the wine overflow. Cucullin never heard a peep of warfare. For three days and three nights, the great session of Eamon Macha continued, with the war noise of the children of Catalan continuing outside. But Conkabar knew the session couldn't last forever. Unfortunately, the session can't ever last forever. But the king's druid and counsellor, Cuthbert, had a rather ingenious suggestion. There is a valley, Marie, known as Glennamore, the Valley of the Deaf. If you take Cucullin there, he will hear no sound of the outside world. And so, the music turned to lullaby and the dosage of Cucullin's wine was trebled until the Hound of Ulster was in a sound sleep. Once he was out, Cucullin's body was carried to the Valley of the Deaf, where the magical warfare sounds of the children of Catalan would never reach him. So the sons and daughters had to regroup and rethink. They quickly had another strategy. One of the daughters transformed herself into the form of Emer, the wife and love of Cucullin. As Emer, the child of Catalan, walked past the guards of Glanamore, found Cucullin, and began to weep. Macrochial, you must come quickly. There is a war to be fought. No one would have judged Cucullin if his response to this call to action had been, Not another war. But that wasn't his response. If it had been, he wouldn't have been Cucullin. If anything, he was delighted to leave the Valley of the Deaf, that he had no idea how he had arrived at. Cucullin ran to the home of his mother, Death Chinna, where he had left Liam Macha, his loyal stallion whom he had tamed during the challenge to decide the champion's portion. Since he had broken him, Liam Macha had never disobeyed Cucullin, or shown any less courage in battle. But when Cucullin went to tack the horse to a chariot this time, Liamaka bucked and kicked and refused to yield. Cucullin then ordered his charioteer Leg to try to calm the horse, but Liamaka shied away from Leg too. On the third attempt, Cucullin chastised his steed. Liamaka, you have not disobeyed me yet, and you will not start today. Calm yourself. Ulster needs us. After these words, the horse obeyed, and was latched on to the chariot. Cucullin could not see it, but Liamacha began to cry tears of blood. And that was not the only blood 
for once Cúchulainn and Laig had mounted their chariot, the Hound of Ulster's mother came out from her home to see her son off, and gave him her blessing with a cup of wine. But when Dechina poured the wine, it turned to blood in the cup before Cúchulainn could drink. Cúchulainn emptied the cup, and his mother filled it again. More blood. Dechina was determined to not send her son into battle without a blessing, so filled the cup one more time. When it turned to blood yet again, Cúchulainn was forced to throw it away and ride out. As Laig and Cúchulainn rode into the site they were told held the battle, they crossed a ford where they saw an old woman washing armour in the waters. Without even being asked, the crone cried out, I am washing the armour of Cúchulainn, who will be killed today in battle. We shouldn't let her away with that, said Laig. She's an old woman, said Cúchulainn. She has no doubt put up to it by our enemies. They're trying to give us an ominous sense of foreboding. It's working, said the charioteer. Next, the two Ulster men came across three women sitting round a campfire, cooking something on a spit. They called to the two passers-by. Care to join us for dinner, boys? What are you cooking? asked Leg. Dog, said one of the women, and all three howled laughing. Cucullin had been named for a dog. He was the Hound of Ulster. So he was under a gyasa to never eat the flesh of a dog. I am afraid we cannot join you, ladies, said Cucullin. Yeah, eating dog is just nasty, said Lake. The three women then began to jeer Cucullin. Oh, there he goes, lofty and high Cucullin, too used to living in the courts of King Kunkabar MacNassa, too good to sit around a fireside with common folk. Cucullin was in a bit of a bind. He dare not break his gyasa, but to refuse the offer of hospitality may curse him in battle. And there were three women, so three potential curses. The Hound of Ulster began to weigh up the lesser of the two evils, and sat down to eat some dog. The second the gamey flesh of a dog slid down Cúchulain's throat, he lost all the strength in his left arm. This caused the piece that was on his fork to fall onto his leg. When it did, he lost all strength in his left leg. In the entire left side of his body, Cúchulain now had the strength of but one mortal man. It was then the three women began to cackle once more and revealed their true identity. They were the Morrigan, all three, Bav, Macha and Neiman, who had cursed Ulster to feel the pangs of childbirth when King Kunkamar MacNassa had forced her to race him in a chariot and who had offered their hearts to Cúchulain during the thorn and had very nearly caused his death when he refused. They had now finally exacted their revenge. They said, no one escapes the Morrigan. And Bav took the form of the battle crow and flew over Cúchulain to foretell his death. And the Morrigan, all three, disappeared. Cúchulain wanted to go home, but he could only go forward, into battle, to meet his fate. Laig and Cúchulain's chariot finally arrived at its destination. There on a hill, stood the three sons of Catalan, and a fourth man, 
the great sorcerer Kuroi Makdara, who had been the one to decide the fate of the champion's portion and had sworn to defend Ku Cullen's honour, had ended up losing his life to him. To tell a short story within the story, Ku Roy and Ku Cullen were involved in a raid on the island of Fear Falge. They took their share of loot and abducted the princess of the island. The princess, Lanid, fell in love with Ku Cullen, but Ku Roy decided he wanted her. Ku Cullen tried to stop Ku Roy taking her, but Ku Roy drove the hound into the ground up to his armpits and cut off his hair before escaping, taking Blanet with him. But it wasn't long before Ku Cullen found Ku Roy, liberated the princess, and killed the sorcerer for his treachery. But standing on the hill beside the three sons of Catalan was Louis MacCu Roy, the son of the sorcerer who had fell by Ku Cullen's hand, another fatherless son who had sworn revenge on the Hound of Ulster. Louis MacCu Roy had told the sons of Catalan of a prophecy that the first three spears cast by Ku Cullen in battle would each kill three kings. The sons of Catalan sought to reap the benefits of this, and called to the Hound of Ulster to cast the first spear. Ku Cullen refused. He had been called to battle, not to fight a petty skirmish against four men. So the first son of Catalan stepped forward and told Ku Cullen if he did not fight, he would be personally satirized. Time and time again, the bravest warriors of mythology live in fear of satire. So Ku Cullen took a spear and cast it across the plain, and it sailed right through the chest of the first son of Catalan, killing him instantly. But Louis McCurroy took the same spear and cast it back at Ku Cullen. It missed the hound, but hit Liamacha. Ku Cullen's horse fell to the ground and died, and so fell Liamacha, king among horses. Ku Cullen cried for the loss of his loyal steed and wanted to leave there and then, but the second son of Catalan stepped forward and said if Ku Cullen didn't fight, they would satirize all of Ulster. Ku Cullen couldn't have that, so he took his second spear and threw it right through the heart of the second son of Catalan. Again, Louis McCurroy took the spear and threw it right back. This time, the spear struck the stomach of Laig, Ku Cullen's beloved charioteer. Laig had been with the Hound of Ulster through it all. He had offered counsel, aided him in battle, and had never, ever deserted him. And he never did. Ku Cullen held his friend, and so died Laig, king among charioteers. The third and final son of Catalan stepped forward and called to Ku Cullen that if he did not continue to fight, he would satirize his family. But Ku Cullen didn't need goading this time. He wiped away his tears, took the final spear, aimed it carefully, and pierced right through the heart of the final son of Catalan. Louis McCurroy did not rush the final shot. Like Ku Cullen, he aimed carefully, and with all his might, he cast that spear across the plain, and it stabbed Ku Cullen in the stomach, spilling the hound's entrails all over the ground. Ku Cullen's hour had finally come. He knew it. But he refused to die on the ground. He wanted to die on his feet, like the warrior he was. 
with the last of his strength, he pulled himself up to the nearest standing stone and dragged his body up it. He tied his intestines around it to keep him standing even after death and gripped his sword tight in his hand. As the light began to fade, Cuchulain saw a raven approach him. Surely the morrigan come to gloat. <coughs> you, you got me in the end. But you can never say I didn't put up a fight. The raven tripped over the entrails of Cuchulain, which caused the Hound of Ulster to laugh. And Cuchulain, the Hound of Ulster, died with a laugh on his breath. For three days and three nights, no one dared approach the body of Cuchulain. He stood, so he was still a threat. It was only on the fourth day, when the Morrigan grew tired of being further mocked by the Hound of Ulster, even in death, that Bav took the form of the Battle Crow and landed on the dead Cuchulain's shoulder. It was only then the world would accept that the Hound of Ulster had died. Louis McCurroy the man who had done the impossible, the thing literally thousands had attempted. He had killed Cuchulain. But not being quite satisfied, Louis wanted his trophy. He wanted Cuchulain's sword. So he tried to pull it from the dead man's hand. But even in death, Cuchulain's grip was too tight. So Louis took his own sword and sliced the tendons in Cuchulain's arm to loosen the grip. It worked, and Cuchulain's sword fell, slicing Louis McCurroy's arm off in the process. So Cuchulain avenged his own death a full three days after he had died. And so ends the Ulster Cycle, to be continued. And that is the end of the Ulster Cycle and the end of the four cycles of Irish mythology on Fireside. Mythological, Ulster, Fenian and Historical. We've done them all. There may have been a story we missed here or there, but 35 myths along with 35 folktales, 70 episodes. Thank you so much for you listening. There's those of you out there who've listened to every one of them. And there's little I could possibly appreciate. I could never show you my gratitude for how much I appreciate you listening to them. This podcast is, it's doing episodes like this. It's reaching milestones like this. And I view each episode, when it gets to the high numbers, I view each of them as a milestone in itself. Especially at times like this when everything has been taken away from so many of us. And that this is still a thing that I can do each and every week. This really is the thing that I'm most, most proud of that I've ever done. I get such satisfaction. It's tough going. It's, it's it's hard work, this podcast. And there's always more I would like to do. I would love to be able to spend more time than I do on adapting and writing the episodes. But if I did that, I would never get anything else done. I would never write any of the other things that I write or play any music or any of the other things that I do to make my living. But it still takes a huge amount of work. And not just from me, from Jamie, my producer, from Alan and Paddy, who do such, such valiant, tireless work in head stuff, and who are the ones who greenlit this and believed in this project right from the beginning. 
but it's really it's you the listeners who've kept me going each and every week it's looking at those stats on audio boom and seeing this podcast continue to grow little by little it's still in the grand scheme of things a very small podcast but as i see those numbers build and see how many people have listened overall that is what keeps me going each and every time the people supporting the patreon is incredibly generous and i can't i'm bowled over by the even the few of you that are and i do hope that that continues to grow because it does really help and it is obviously a huge incentive all we ever want to do is get, to get paid for the things that we love doing and i do get paid for things that i love doing when i gig and when i do shows and musicals and plays and to make even any money off this from the live shows or from the Patreon is incredible. But I do this. I do this podcast. I started as a thing I wanted to see myself. I wanted to know more about the myths and folktales of Ireland. And I want to continue to do that. These are such broad strokes that I feel I've done with so many of these. And I don't feel we're in any way done with Irish mythology. And we're certainly not done with Irish storytelling because I want to talk a little bit about this story yeah, before we move on um, and I won't be able to do it too long because yeah, oh no, we're not too bad on time um, I, I adore, I adore this story I absolutely adore this tale I'm so, so happy that because, you know, the last story we did was the death of the kings and queens which was more of a story a compilation of different stories that I pieced together and I'm proud of it, I'm, and I'm delighted I did that. I'm delighted I tied up all of those loose ends from the cycle. And to be honest, the last story was probably the one that I should have chronologically finished the cycle with, because it's the death of all the characters, a lot of whom who died after Cucullin. But let's not be under any illusion. Uh, Queen Maeve is incredible, you know, Conkbar and our lesser characters like Ferdia, and then as he came, uh, Conal Cairnach came into his own there in the later cycle. But beginning, middle and end... This is Cuchulain's cycle. He is the most famous character in all of Irish, in the Irish pantheon. And for good reason. He's such a complex, flawed, superhuman, yet superhuman character in the world. And I love feeling so much closer to him. I'm immensely biased, but I've called Cuchulain the Jesus Hercules of Irish mythology. You compare him so much to Hercules because Hercules is so much more a worldwide established character but I and biased but I way prefer Cucullin and that's probably because I know so much more details about him but I know a lot about Hercules as well I, I before doing this podcast I knew immensely more about Greek mythology than I did about Irish mythology I'm delighted that finally the scales have tipped a little bit in the other the other direction but I'm so glad that after adapting the tawn and countless tales of Cucullin's boyhood deeds of his childhood of his training uh, of the champion's portion, of him lying in his sickbed, the one time I ended up falling in love, everything, that after all this, his final story was as satisfying and such a fairy tale as this was. This was such a classic story in terms of structure. You have your beginning medals and ends, you have forebodings, you have the fact that this ties in with everything else, that this is the natural conclusion. This is like the end of The Sopranos or The Wire or something in terms of everything catching up story-wise that everything catching up to our 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 heroes you know we have them having to accept the consequences of the lives that they've led 
And in some adaptations, and a lot of people are under the impression that Coo Cullen died at the end of the Thawne. And I could have killed him at the end of the Thawne because he sometimes does die at the end of the Thawne. And who knows, maybe originally in the original text, he did die at the end of the Thawne. But when the, once I read this story, I went, no, I want to do the proper story. And with the with the foreboding as he goes into battle of the Morrigan finally getting her over and of the deaths of him, the horse, and Leg. I love that Leg was there right to the beginning. Leg was a real MVP as far as I was concerned through all this cycle. He was with Cuchulain through everything. And every time I saw Leg mentioned in a story, I made it an effort that, you know, it says this Cuchulain single-handedly fought the Thorn and that is true in terms of fighting but he wasn't alone Leg was always with him his loyal devoted charioteer and I'm delighted he was with him right at the end I definitely got a bit of a pang of emotion there coming to the end of that story as it was the end of the cycle but like saying goodbye to Coo Cullen who we've been with so much for the last few months and who I really feel has been with me over the last year because he's been hanging over me in a way because this is the Ulster cycle is the second cycle chronologically but it's really what we were building up to, which is why I left it to last. I wanted to feel like I was a better writer, a better storyteller, that I'd learned how to write, how to record these podcasts, what worked, what didn't work. And every day is a learning curve. And I still think I have so much, so much to learn about writing, about storytelling and about recording these podcasts. But I can feel myself from that story the progress I've made I feel like I am a better writer and I feel like I'm a better storyteller and I hope that you feel that as well and I hope that I can continue to grow and that we can continue to grow this podcast together but I couldn't leave it there without giving of course a mention to the statue of Cuchulain the famous statue of Cuchulain which stands in the GPO in Dublin is the statue of Cuchulain died standing up tied to the standing rock with the raven on his shoulder, signifying that he is dead. So that is the thing, that is the image that was used as the symbol for the volunteers in the 1916 Rising uh, to show a, a sense of Irish pride and romanticised Irish mythology for use in the war effort. And likewise, it was used by the total opposite side by the by the Unionists. It was used by both nationalists and then Unionists who chose to view it as... Cuchulain defending Ulster against the rest of Ireland, whereas the Nationalists viewed it as Cuchulain defending Ireland against everyone else. And both have their validity. And I love that Cuchulain has been used by so many people, for good and for bad. You know, like so many figures have been used for good and for bad. But, I mean, it's no, generally no good thing when something is used to incite war, even if it is the liberation of a nation as it was with us, with us here in Ireland. But that is shows the power of these stories and the endurance of this story and why Cuchulain is still as famous today as he was is because he's been used as a symbol and a figurehead by so many people. And I hope that there's those of you out there who, like me, knew this image but didn't really know the association of this image or this specific story about how Cuchulain came to die like this and that it was here and that it wasn't at another time because this was not something I knew a huge amount before starting to research it. And I hope that you'd enjoyed it, and I hope that you got something out of it, even half as much as I did. But I will start to wrap things up now, but for those of you who've been very good boys and girls waiting for the end of this podcast, what comes next, you may be wondering? Well, 
We have, of course, hundreds of more folk tales to talk about. But what are we going to do instead of our myths? Well, I have a good few ideas. Things could change. Things could develop. And as always, please do contact me either on Instagram at Fireside Bard or on the Patreon if you are one to let me know your suggestions or what you would or would not like to see. But I have three big ideas at the moment. I had always spoken about moving on to other cultures, uh, folktales and myths, such as the German folktales, the Greek myths, the, you know, the, so many, the Norse mythology uh, and the, any other Indian mythology, so many others that I've done research into over the last years, a uh, couple of years. And who knows, maybe down the line that may still be an avenue I can go. But at the same time, this is an Irish storytelling podcast. And I do believe that anything I do, if I do German folktales, it will still be an Irish storytelling version of German folktales. Like some of the tales that we did, we've did, we done. We've done Gold Tree and Silver Tree, which was the story of Snow White. We have done uh, Fair Brown and Trembling, which was the story of Cinderella. All of these were Irish versions of these folktales. And there's loads more of an untapped source there with all of that but I think there's so much more to explore with storytelling from Ireland itself before we go so my three main ideas at the moment were next up I want to do what I'm going to call the wild cycle in that Oscar Wilde published a book of Irish fairy tales that he wrote himself his mother uh, Oscar Wilde's mother was a folklorist who we have in the early days particularly done many stories that were collected and adapted by her Oscar Wilde's most famous stories no doubt are The Happy Prince and The Selfish Giant which are beautiful beautiful devastating stories that I want to now do my own adaptations of as a nod to Oscar whose work I've always been an immense immense fan of and researching them over the last couple of the week of weeks has been the greatest joy to be reading these beautifully crafted stories and I hope that I can do justice to them because they're so well written that why would I touch them why would I adapt them but I am a storyteller and I don't want to just be a narrator of these stories I think there are fantastic audiobooks of the stories of Oscar Wilde but I want to do my own version of them because I believe that that if I was to just narrate them, that would be doing a disservice to the many other writers whose adaptations of these stories I've just taken the essence of and done my own thing. I, I don't want to hold Oscar with more of a reverence than I would have for his mother or for Kieran Carson or Thomas Kinsale who did the adaptations of The Thorn. So it may work, it may not work, but I think it will work. Um, I've started adapting the first story already. So the wild cycle is something we've something to look forward to. Next, I want to do my own cycle that I've crafted an idea for called the legend cycle, which is to touch on more figures from Irish history who have developed into characters of folklore and to explore a little bit of the difference between the historical figures and the characters from folklore. So these include the great, the great Irish king, Brian Boru, uh, the story of the Norman invasion of uh, of Ireland with uh, Dermot McMurrah. Of course, the legendary pirate queen, Grania Whale, who was the last character in the Fireside theme song that we have yet to do uh, an episode about. But this will be a new cycle of my own devising. And so will be a lot of fun and a lot of work because adapting history is obviously a very different kettle of fish. You can't just totally 
go down the same route. But I think that the fact that the historical cycle or the king cycle had so many characters from history, but were done in a mythological and storytelling way, I think that it is, there's a huge amount of potential for that. And I think there'd be an appetite for that as well. And finally, one other thing ticking around in my idea, my uh, my head at the moment as well, is doing a Blasket cycle. And that is stories from the Blasket Islands in southwest Kerry. Uh, they were, an, it was an island off the southwest coast of Ireland where 150 people, no more ever lived, but lived there over generations and kept a deep tradition of oral music and storytelling alive there and seven residents there were seven blasket books as they were published as they were known as um, mostly dictated mostly by writers who didn't read or write and they were often dictated to writers Oscoyoga I'm reading one of them called 12, 20 Years of Growing by uh, Morris O'Sullivan and the blaskets are an absolute gold mine of folklore and tradition and they are one of the most important aspects of Irish storytelling and so I think I'd be doing a disservice to this podcast and to you as listeners if I didn't explore the Blaskets as well. Uh, most famous probably is uh, the storyteller Peg Sayer is considered one of the greatest Irish storytellers who ever lived who was actually on the Leaving Cert syllabus for the Irish language course um, for many many years for Irish students she's not anymore so I didn't get to do Peg but the Peg's book have been uh, has been a great curse I believe on a lot of uh, an older generation who had to study it but I think when you put anything in an academic sense it can kill the potential joy in it so I, I'm sure if I come to Peg's book with uh, with my outside outside school outside, outside academic sense that I'll find a great joy in it and hope you will as well. So those are the plans. Let me know if you think any of them are great ideas, if you think they're terrible ideas. I can't promise I still won't do them either way because I think I think they will work, but I, as always, would love to hear your feedback, would love what you would like to hear more of or less of, whatever it is. I hope you can hear how excited I am about the future of this podcast and about what we're going to explore together. So thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much to Alan and Paddy at Headstuff, to Jamie, my producer. I'll see you all. You'll hear me all next time. And remember, wherever you go, you can always join me by the fireside. Thank you and goodbye. This podcast is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network.